Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. This morning, I'm going to ask you a question. The past two weeks prior to this message, um, I've been asking you about, or I've been talking about doubt. Talk to you about having doubt in God. And we looked at the stories of Abraham, and then we looked at the story of Isaac, and how Abraham lied about his wife being a sister twice. And then we talked about how Isaac did the same thing. He lied about his wife being a sister because they were afraid that the foreigners in the lands which they dwelt would see the beauty of both of their wives and would want to kill them to take their wives as their own. And so they feared, but they also doubted God and his promises. So I'm going to shift from the doubt of God and shift to self-doubt today as we look at Moses' calling. You ever have self-doubt? No? Good. You have achieved the pinnacle of success. Doubt in self. Have you ever said to yourself, and I've mentioned this probably even within the past few weeks, have you ever said to yourself, man, you're such an idiot when you make a mistake? You may not say it out loud, but have you said it in here? Have you ever said to yourself, how could I be so stupid? Have you ever said... I'm never going to amount to anything. Have you ever said, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, and doggone it? No, I'm just kidding. That's an old Saturday Night Live clip. Have you ever said, have you ever said, I'm never going to measure up? There's always somebody who's better than me. See, the problem is self-doubt originates from comparing ourselves to others. When we compare ourselves to God, we realize where we truly stand. Because in the presence of God, every person on the face of the earth never measures up. But you know the cool thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that's okay. Because if we believe in Jesus, God's only son, we don't have to worry about self-doubt Because Jesus says, listen, I'm going to do what you can't do for yourself. I'm going to fix the problem that generations before have tried and failed time and time again to fix. You can't save yourself. You can't truly fix the problem of sin and death in your life. The only way to accomplish that is to overcome your need to continue to try and let me do it for you. Now, That doesn't mean you get to be lazy, right? That doesn't mean you get to say, well, good, that's taken care of. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And you don't, but it doesn't mean you stop trying. What do I mean by that? You are not saved by works, but you're saved by grace in Christ Jesus. We just partook of the body and the blood of Christ and the elements that we call the bread and the cup. Why do we do that? Because it's in him that we remember that we have eternal life. 
it is not in something that we could do or could ever do at any time and place. Moses, self-doubt. Moses, as you remember, maybe you don't. I'll give you a brief history. Moses is a Jewish male. He was born during a time after Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons had come to Egypt to escape famine from the land of Canaan. And so now they're living in the region of Goshen, which is just to the west, northwest of the Nile River. If you look on a map, it might even still be named that in a certain part. But Goshen is that region just next to the Sinai Peninsula and uh, in between the Nile and the Sinai Peninsula. They had grown so large over about 400 years. And the new Pharaoh that existed during that time became fearful of the Jewish people. He became so fearful, in fact, because they were so numerous, the Jewish people were, that if the Jewish people really wanted to, they could take over Egypt really quickly just by sheer fact that they were a large number of people. And so what does Pharaoh do? He sends out an edict to all the midwives of the Jewish people and says, I want you to kill every male that is born into any of the families there in the region of Gosha. The midwives wouldn't do that. As we know, if you read back, they, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, and so they didn't do that. Of course, they reported back, oh yeah, we're doing that. we don't know how they keep growing. They're just, they're popping them out so fast is how the story goes. It's, it's, it's crass, but it's true. That's how, he, you know, Brandon's version. Okay? I'm thinking about coming out with my own version of Scripture. No, I'm just kidding. I won't. Uh, and so we know that Moses was born during this time period. And Moses' sister decides, we're going to save this baby or they're going to kill him. And so they make a basket and they put pitch and tar around it to keep it buoyant. They put him in this basket and send it down the river. And this is one of the coolest things I love about God. Do you believe God is in control and that he can bring about some amazing things that are not consequence? So Moses is drifting down the Nile River as a baby in a basket. And whose doorstep does he end up on? Pharaoh's doorstep. And who, perchance, is there on the banks of the Nile where this palace is, where the baby drifts up to? Pharaoh's daughter. And she sees this sweet little baby Moses. And she picks him up. Sweet little baby Jesus. Sweet little baby Moses. She picks him up and she says, I, I know what my dad's doing, but I, I can't do this. So I'm going to take him into my own. And just so happens, who's following the basket? Moses' sister who put him in the river because she's like, I want to make sure he's going to be safe. And so she follows him. She follows him to the doorstep of Pharaoh's daughter who has picked up Moses. And she's like, oh my goodness, this little baby. And Miriam's like, um, I can help you take care of him. She's like, good. Could you do that for me? She says, so 
Can you take him to be nursed by one of your ladies? And then when he's of age, bring him back and I'll raise him here in the palace. Guess who Miriam takes the baby back to? His mama. Pretty cool story, right? So Moses as comes of age. He, he's raised in Pharaoh's court. He is basically a son of Pharaoh. He has power and authority, even though he's a Jewish male. And so one day, about the age of 40 years old, he's out while the slaves are uh, making mud bricks and doing different things, uh, the slaves being the Jewish and other foreigners in that time period. And he sees two Egyptian soldiers beating up one of his own peoples, another Jew. And what does he do? He becomes incensed by this. So much so that he takes matters into his own hands. How often does that work when you take matters into your own hands? Not, not great, right? And so he murders this Egyptian soldier, buries him in the sands there in that location, and goes about like nothing ever happened. The next day we find out when Moses is trying to break up a fight between two Jewish males. They said, oh, you're that guy that killed one of the Egyptian soldiers, and you're trying to break up a fight between, who do you think you are? And he realizes, oh, shoot. News has gotten out that I murdered somebody, and when that happens and it gets up to Pharaoh, I'm done for. And so what does he do? He hightails it out of there. So imagine, he's in Goshen, he, grow, he, he leaves, he goes across the Sinai Peninsula and into what is considered Eastern, modern-day Saudi Arabia, the land of Midian. And he's there for 40 years. He gets married, he has kids, and he's there for 40 years, and he's tending his father-in-law's sheep, Jethro, not Bodine. But Jethro, well, he could have been Bodine. We don't know his last name. I'm going to say that's what it is, the Beverly Hillbillies. So he's, he's tending his father's flocks out in the region of Midian in this wasteland of a place. And then this happens. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. What was his father-in-law? A priest doesn't say he was a priest of Yahweh. He was a priest. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Okay, this is going to come up later on. Where does Moses receive the Ten Commandments? At the same place he first met God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why is it that bush burning up? I have to go see it. And again, you've heard me say this before. How long do you have to sit there and watch a bush burn before you realize it's not getting any smaller? So he sees this burning bush. I'm going to guess he thought it could have been from natural causes. They've seen lightning strike and catch trees and different things on fire before. So he maybe just missed the lightning strike and this bush was on fire. And he's sitting there. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
I mean, I'm watching the sheep. This is a lot more entertaining, right? But he starts to realize that bush is not getting smaller. It's not burning up. This is pretty amazing. How is this possible? And so what does he decide to do? He decides to go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, because God was setting the stage for Moses. He's like, okay, now he's coming. I thought he might. God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. How many of you would kind of get a little freaked out if a bush started talking to you? I mean, not just any bush, a burning bush. You'd kind of get a little freaked out, right? Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer. You better, okay, I'll stop right here, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. I say this to my kids a lot. We, we are not too much of a stickler about this, but when you come into the home, what do you do with shoes? Some of you don't, but some of us do. We have a little place and we take our shoes off, right? Why? Keep the dirt out of your house. Guess what? This is going to be a fun little science experiment. Would you ever lick the bottom of your shoe? No. Where have you gone in these shoes? Not my shoes, your shoes. Everywhere. Did you go to the bathroom? Do people accidentally splatter on the floor sometimes? No. Hear me out on this. Because what do you do on your floor? I lay on my floor sometimes. I wrestle with the kids. What have I tracked in? Right? You pee. <laughs> or at least it's residue. All right? What do you think Moses might have stepped in with his flocks? Oh. Ah, maybe some poo. Do you see what God is telling him? Listen, don't you bring anything impure into this place. You're standing in front. We don't revere and reverence God enough in our culture, in our churches, in our culture. I don't expect the culture to, but we should expect the church to, yes? Do we have enough reverence for God? I'm sorry, it's a total, this is a different sermon for a different time. That's not where I'm going. But do you catch the reason why? He has tracked in the muck and the mire of waste into this place, and God says, you are in a holy place, now take your shoes off. And so Moses says, no, I like my shoes, I got them, and they're like a thousand bucks sandals, and I can, I'm just kidding. That's not what he says. What does he say? Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Why? Because you can't look at God and live. The only time it was ever thought that a God would ever make himself known to you is if he was coming to take you away or to zap you. And so Moses is like, oh no, and he covers his face. He doesn't want to see what's getting ready to happen. I just do it quick, right? Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. And yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. What had God promised Abraham and Isaac 
and then Jacob. The land of Canaan, where they were dwelling as nomads. He says, everywhere you can see, as far as the eye can see in this region, is, the la- is your land. It would not happen in their lifetime. And now Moses is hearing this same promise of God for the Jewish people that he had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God is now going to fulfill through the leadership of Moses. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. This isn't a place that is one solid nation. It is one solid region of multiple tribal kings and peoples. Okay? Look, the cry of my people Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. (laughs) How long ago did he leave Egypt after murdering somebody? An Egyptian soldier? 40 years. How old is he now? Good. You can do math. I can't very easily, but that one's pretty simple. He was 40 when he left. He was 80 when God called him. How many of you are 80 or older? This is not to call you out. Some of you who are willing to raise your hands, raise your hand. So this was his calling into ministry. He didn't do it. He didn't call Moses when he was a teenager. He set him up for it when he was a baby. But Moses had to be good and ready. So God's saying, I want you to go back to Egypt and get my people out. I've heard their cries. It's time. And Moses is like, I'm probably still in one. I mean, it's been 40 years. Maybe they've forgotten me. It's been a generation. But I, I can't go back there. Well, let's see what he says. But Moses protested God. Who am I to appear, appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. He didn't answer whether or not Moses was good enough. Did you notice that? He didn't say, well, you used to be in Pharaoh's court. You were a higher official, and you've got the credentials, and you've got the, uh, you know, you've got the, the repertoire of what I need to go back there. He didn't say anything about that. Actually, Moses would have probably been the least effective of the ones he would have chosen, if we're being honest. And, but God didn't point out anything good in Moses yet, okay? What does he say? I will be with you. God doesn't choose you because you're worthy. Do you know that? He chooses you because he loves you. I will be with you, and this is your sign that I will be the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. What mountain is this? Sinai. But Moses protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, well, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? He's going to go back. The Jewish people didn't seem to like him at all. He's trying to break up a fight between two of the others. Remember that? He had bad taste in his mouth because his own people didn't like him. All right, so what if I go back? What credentials do I say about you? Who do I tell them? Well, Didn't he already tell him who he was? We'll get into that. But God replied to Moses, I am who I am. 
Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, which also means I am that I am, the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. And then he goes further, God does. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. There's something going on here. Why does he ask him this? Because they probably are aware of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they've never heard this name before. Why? Because they've been living in a region where there's a pantheon of gods, a God to the sun, a God to the moon, a God of the harvest, a God of the Nile. And so now Moses is going back and he's like, I know what's going to happen because I lived there for 40 years. If I go back and say, God has sent me to relieve you and bring you out of this land of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage, they're going to say, well, which one? Which, which God? And God's saying, I am. How powerful is that? It's not really, I've said this before, it's not really good English, right? I am has sent me to you. My English teacher in high school or college would have counted off points if I put I am has sent me to you, right? But what is it in a name, in that name specifically? When you say I am, what does that give you the impression of? It's I am, I just, I am. I, I'm not, I was. I'm not, I will be, I am. I am the ever-present reality that has brought ever, the ever-present reality of everything else into existence. I am that I am. I can't be labeled as the God of the sun because I'm more than that. I can't be labeled as the God of the moon because I'm more than that. I can't be labeled as the God of the harvest because I'm more than that. I am the ever-existent one, and there is no other. So let there be no mistake. When you go to them and tell them my name, make it very clear that I am above all else and there is no one like me. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians have treated you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt, and I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. It's like when you're telling your kids to do something, and you have to repeat yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? You're like, why is he being redundant? Because God is speaking to Moses, who he's calling into service, and he's having to say, okay, let me make this clear again. When you go, say this. Okay, verse 19, oh, I'm sorry, verse 18. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you, will be the, then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me, or has, has met with us. So please let us go make a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. And then at last, he will let you go. <clears throat> and I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. 
They will give you gifts when you go so that you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold, fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. And Moses is like, all right, well, I'm ready. No, he goes on to say, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what's in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw the staff on the ground, and it turned into a snake. He jumped back, and he goes, ah, like that. I'm guessing he had a robe on, so probably. I'm sure it wasn't quite like that. But he jumped back, because snakes are not to be messed with in the wilderness. Most of them are poisonous in that region. And then God does something really fun. He says, reach out and grab its tail. <laughs> How many of you would do that? You'd be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. Turned into a snake and I've been carrying it around. Uh, kind of freaked out by this. <clears throat> so he ended up reaching out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him, and then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob has really appeared to you. And then the Lord says to Moses, put your hand inside of your cloak. Kind of like, kind of like a Napoleon kind of thing, right? Right there. Put your hand inside of your cloak. Well, why are you doing that? So he puts his hand inside of, or he, so Moses put his hand inside of his cloak and then he took it out again and his hand was as white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now this was a complete no-no in, in the Jewish uh, religion. If you had a skin disease, you were unclean and you were not allowed into the community of faith. A whole different sermon for a whole different time. Suffice it to say, this was a bad thing. Now, put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was healthy just as the rest of his body. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Moses, if they don't believe you and are not convinced at the first miraculous sign, then they'll be convinced at the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after those two signs, <clears throat> excuse me, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. God's given him all of these tools, right? Trying to convince Moses. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not, a very, I'm not very good with words. I've never been, and I'm not now. E even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. You know that I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled, right? How many of you love standing on stages in front of large groups of people speaking? How many of, that, how many of you, that's your worst fear? Because you, you, go, you go blank. You're like, I, 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 and you panicked, right? So Moses is like, I can't do that. I mean, there are millions of Jewish people, and then you want me to go to before Pharaoh and his court, which there'll be a whole bunch of people there. I, I can't do that. And then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? <laughs> I love that. 
Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or not speak? Hear or not hear? See or not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go! I'll be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. And then Moses, stubborn little cuss, he says, Lord, please send anyone else. And the Lord was ticked off <laughs> since he became angry. The Lord is slow to anger. It doesn't mean he never gets angry. Do you see how slow he was to get upset with Moses? How slow is he to get upset with you or I? <laughs> but he has his limits. And says, the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with the both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesperson to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. Take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I've shown you. <clears throat> I, um, I'm assuming after that gentle voice through all of the reasoning processes didn't work and God became angry that the voice from the bush became very stern. And it was one of those where Moses realized, I should probably not push back anymore. Key point this morning is God is patient with us even when we doubt ourselves. I want you to look at two pieces of that first part. I want you to look at the here am I versus who am I. The voice calls from the bush. It's the Lord. And what does Moses reply? Here am I. And then God begins to push into him. After the first question. Moses says, who am I? And God begins to tell him who he is. How many of you question who you are? Hmm? Yeah, we all do at times, don't we? Who am I? Who am I that God would send his only son to die for me on a cross? Who am I that God would choose me to do anything of worth or significance? Who am I? that he would see me as special when there are billions of people on the face of the earth. You ever wondered that? I'm gonna contest that, that if you've ever questioned whether or not God can see you as special among a billion, seven billion other faces, your God is way too small. Do you hear me? The church should be one of the most confident and the least arrogant of all peoples on the earth. And yet we are the most incompetent oftentimes and unwilling to be used. We like to play it safe. We like to go into our Midians and tend sheep because it's a lot simpler and nobody bothers us there. Besides that, we don't believe we can do any more than that. 
When God has said, no, 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 I have created you and called you for something better and greater than that. I created you with a purpose and existence. And I don't expect you or desire for you to squander that. It may take time to get you to the point to where I want to use you, but no matter where you are, what age you are, what difficulties you struggle with in life, he has still called you to a good purpose. He desires for you to be a part of his good plan. When a person stands in the presence of God, the normal reaction or response is inadequacy. Why did I tell you that? Because we oftentimes do a great job of comparing ourselves to the person next to us. And in some cases, we know that we're probably better than some, but we're not as good as others, right? So on this grand human scale of comparison, we know that we can, in our own strength, power, and authority, be better than some. But when you compare yourself to God, where do you rank? See, that is not meant to drive you away from God, but meant to put things in perspective in your life. That you, compared to him, are inadequate. But the good news of that story is, he calls us, the inadequate people, into service because it's through our inadequacies that he can make his glory known. Does this make sense? Have I lost anybody yet? Here am I, who am I? Face to face with our perfect creator, there is nowhere to hide. There are no excuses to make, no cover up or facade that we can use to pose as something we're not. We can do this with everybody else, but we can't do it with God. But this is exactly where God meets us every time. At the end of ourselves, at the end of our rope, in that place where we are completely exposed. And he says, I love you and I choose you. When we're laid bare before the Lord and bow before him in stark contrast to his holiness is when God can take our brokenness and our failed attempts at life and make us into world changers. But the church and those within it oftentimes die on the vine because we have so much self-doubt that we don't allow the word and the promises of God to penetrate our hearts and to transform us into new creations for his sake. Instead, we're willing to die on the vine. And what happens, John chapter 15, to the branches that die on the vine? Cuts them off, throws them into the fire pit. What about those branches that are there? They're subsisting, they're taking nutrients, but they're not producing fruit. They're cut off. Guess where they're thrown? The same pile the dead branches were. Church. It's not about doing, but you cannot believe in a God and not do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every member of God's church is a minister of the gospel of Christ. It's not just those of us who are called into vocational ministry. You have a responsibility as much as Moses did, as much as I do, or any other, any other leader that you see in scripture or today. 
See, Moses' place in life, tending the sheep in Midian, was exactly where God wanted to call him from. It was good, it was comfortable. The past was the past. How many of you are in a good and comfortable place? Your life's not been perfect, but at least you're subsisting, you're existing. But God's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to join me in my work. I want you to join me here. And yes, you're inadequate, but I'll be with you. Remember? God didn't say, no, 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 Moses, don't say that. You're not inadequate. You're, you're, no, no, don't you say those. You're, no, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> you would think, that's a horrible friend. We want them to tell us how good we are. And to lift us out of the doldrums. How much better is it, though, to be said, yeah, you're not perfect, but I'm with you. Pretty powerful. Then it goes from who am I to who are you? Okay? Who am I is the next point. Let's see our screens now. Oh, it's not. This one's down. Who am I versus who are you? All right, so now the transition happens. God's starting to press in. He says, well, who am I to go do this? And then God gives him some more uh, information. He's like, well, who are you? I mean, not like, well, who are you? It's who are you? Right, Moses grew up. His father-in-law is a priest, and it doesn't say he's a priest of Yahweh. The land of Midian had a lot of cultic-type tribes, and they worshiped. Again, the various gods of nature, if there were such a thing. And so he's a priest in one of these cultic religions. And so now Moses, who had been so inundated by this, he knows of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's just, how do I distinguish him from the rest of the others? If I go back and tell them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent me to you, and they've been for generations under a pantheistic religion in Egypt, how do I distinguish you from the rest? And why should they care? Who are you? I am. John chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Actually, I got a bunch of favorite chapters, but it is one of my favorites because you go all the way down to the end of chapter eight in John is one of the longer chapters in John. Go all the way down to the end of that. And Moses is being confronted by and confronting the religious leaders of his day, the Jewish people even. And they're debating on their father, Abraham. And basically having this debate with Jesus that they, they, they serve Abraham. They are children of Father Abraham. And he says, no, technically you're children of the devil. <laughs> no, he is not instigating them. He is telling them the truth. Because they don't worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great I am, who met Moses in the burning bush. They are holding on to traditional ties and ethnic ties when it's more than ethnicity and tradition. And in a capstone conversation that really peeved them off, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Um, Why did that tick them off? Because they knew what God's name was. 
in Jesus' day. Jesus knew that they knew who God was. I am that I am. The word Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, the holy name of God was never uttered by the strictly religious people of that day and even of our day in Judaism. <clears throat> they so fear and revere God that they won't even utter the names that God spoke from the burning bush. And so now Jesus is saying before Abraham was, I am, all caps. Before Abraham was, Yahweh. Do you catch the truth claim that Jesus is making to the religious leaders of his day? I am God incarnate. I am Yahweh. Let there be no mistake. There is no other God before me. Do you know who you're speaking with? Jesus says to the woman at the well. If you only know who you were talking to, I'd give you water and you'd never thirst again. I am. Do a study of that word, I am. Ego, me in Greek, all the way through the Gospel of John, over and over, and I am the bread of life. I am the living water. The last one, anyone but me. Have you ever said that? Those of you who have been willing to lean into God enough to actually maybe hear his still small voice, and he says, I want you to go and do this. And it's not going to be easy. It's actually going to be pretty hard. I'm going to call you into some places that will make you shudder in your boots. But remember, I'm with you. Here am I. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? Anyone but me. Anyone but me. Theologian Lee Haynes explains that God is very patient with Moses, honest questions, and their genuine concern over and their genuine concern over their limitations, but he has no patience with stubborn reluctance to do his will. It's a virtue for Moses to be humble. It was a vice for him to continue to question the wisdom of God when all of his questions had been answered. That's tough. I'll be honest, being a guy who was called in and my wife who were called into ministry full-time over 20 years ago, I didn't want to be a pastor. Never on my radar, had no desire to do that. I had a calling into ministry, but never wanted to be in ministry in the church. I'd grown up in the church. I'd seen how the church treated its pastors. I'd seen how the church treated one another. And I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a part of that political game. And so, Lord, I'll do anything but that. And so I set out. My initial goal was to go into communication arts, which my wife has a degree in communication arts also. I would have loved to have been in radio. I would have loved to have been in TV or some kind of ministry related to that context. But there was a transformation that began to happen in my life in college where God, God's passion in me for his word 
so burned with intensity that I knew that within that transitional period of those four years in my undergrad and learning about ministry and the Bible that I had to be a minister of the word. But I still said, I never want to be a senior pastor. Fine. If you want, I'll go in. I'll be like a, a, a teaching guy, an associate. I'll help the senior pastor. Don't, don't ever want to be a senior pastor. I mean, it kind of gave me a gag reflex. Okay. <laughs> Some of you, it probably gives you a gag reflex to see me. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, he should have been a pastor. Anyway, um, anyone but me. But then... As I was associate pastor the first five years of my life, toward the end of that five years, I felt that prompting. I'm like, no, I know this prompting. I don't like it. I don't want to do this. But I loved teaching the masses and preaching to the masses and researching and studying the word to show myself approved. But I wanted others to learn what I was like. When I learned something new, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta tell somebody. <laughs> I got to show, I got to explain. I want to show you that. I want to see, look how this ties into the big picture. And God says, I want you to do that in this context. Amen. No, I don't want to. There are days I still say, no, I don't want to do this anymore. But like Jeremiah, there's a fire in my belly and in my bones. Where is the fire in your belly and your bones? What's it for? God has never spoken to me audibly, and that may be strange for some of you to hear, but God speaks to me. And as you learn to commune with God, you learn the voice of God over time. A lot of people say, how do you know God's voice? How do you know if it's him calling you and not the devil? Or, Well, you measure it against God's word, the Bible. God would never be calling you to kill somebody, okay? Hey, why don't you go murder your neighbor? <laughs> okay, God. No, he's not going to call you to do that. Hey, why don't you go sleep around on your wife or your husband? Yeah, no, that's not God. That's the devil. But if God's saying, I want you to go speak to your neighbor about me. <laughs> God, is that really you? Well, what would the word of God tell you to do? Well, I know one verse that actually encapsulates our whole vision statement. We are called to develop completely committed followers of Christ who know Christ intimately, grow in him continually, and go for him daily. We didn't make that up. Guess where it came from? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And just like Yahweh said to Moses at the burning bush, and I am with you till when? The end. Do you see that? Just as God says, I am with you, he says that to us as we go in his name. So if you're questioning whether you should go speak to your neighbor about Jesus, your fears are going to be, your fears are going to do, look, I want to show you something. You're going to say, um, who am I to go to my neighbor? Okay, so let's say, God, I do go to my neighbor or that person across the restaurant or anybody else. I mean, who am I to tell them you are? Um, what if they don't believe me when I tell them? What if they give me one of these weird, like, stink eye looks? 
You know, what if they get to give me one of those? They're like, no, 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 don't you come to me with your Jesus stuff. Oh, Lord, I'm not good with words. I've not been a believer for that long. Or I've been a believer for a while, but I'm still not good at speaking to strangers. Do you, do you know what I just went through? Is what Moses went through with God. And then you come to the end and you're like, anybody but me. My pastor, oh, it, it, this, this is great. Can I tell you? Um, pastor, I want you to come meet my neighbor. <laughs> pastor, I want, you to, I want you to talk with my family member who doesn't know Jesus. Why me? Well, we pay you to do that. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. See, God's calling you. I, sh- I shouldn't give this, but I will. I've been chewing on this. Where, where's, uh, where's my buddy Adrian? Are you back there? There you are, buddy. We had lunch this past week, and the staff know this. I've been chewing on and ruminating on this, this um, campaign. It's called U Plus Two. And the whole philosophy behind U Plus Two is that you take the initiative to meet with two other people, not churched people, not Christians. They have to be unchurched or dechurched. Do you understand what I mean by that? Unchurched are those that would never darken the doorway of a church and probably have no exposure to Christianity or God or the Bible. A dechurched person is somebody that maybe grew up in the church and has walked away. That didn't happen during COVID-19. But it was those who, just kidding, we lost about 30% of our attendance. So, But do you understand what I'm saying? You have to be intentional about connecting with somebody that's not a part of the church. And, 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 the, and the intent of this U plus two is that you strike up a conversation. You don't go in with Jesus guns a-blazing or Bible verses ready at hand. You go in with a conversation. You say, listen. And it could be the, cash re- or the cashier at the local uh, food chain stores you go to that, that you check out with frequently. And you get to know them by name, and you know they're married and maybe have kids. And, and you say, hey, you know what? You're intrigued. I love having these conversations with you. I'd love to take you out to coffee sometime. Would you ever be up for coffee? This isn't a ruse or a ploy or try a manipulation tactic, but if you truly believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ can save men and women's souls and set them free from sin and death and give them eternal life, why would you want to hold that back? And you invite them into a conversation, but you hear their story first. Tell me your story. I want to hear about you. I'm interested. You're intriguing to me. I want to, I want to hear more about you. And then over the course of a year, it's a 12-month commitment, with two other people. You don't have to meet with them at the same time. You hear their story. You truly engage with them, not with ulterior motives, but with an opportunity to show them the hope you have. And you begin to breathe life into them that maybe they've never experienced or heard, or maybe it's been a very long time. And you begin to show them that there is more to this life than this. And then at the end of that 12 months, the hope is that they've come to know Christ intimately. They've begun to grow in him continually. And then you tell them at the end, now I want you to find two other people and do the same thing that I've done with you over this past year. 
What do you think would happen to the body of Christ? I'm not talking about North Main Street. I don't care about North Main. Well, let me back up. I love North Main Street Church of God, but I'm not about us just growing in number for number's sake. If we're growing because people are coming to know Christ first and foremost above all else, awesome. If we're growing because other churches are stinky compared to us, it's, that's good, but there are th thousands, tens of thousands of people that know, don't know Christ. What if 10% of that became effective? Say 100 of us met with two other people for a period of a year, and 10% of the ones they met with came to Christ. And let's say they took seriously to do this same thing. And then 10% of that was effective. Do you realize, I'm not a mathematician, I told you that in the beginning, but if you crunch the numbers exponentially, there would be explosive growth in the kingdom of God because we weren't afraid to go in Jesus' name and share the gospel of Christ with those who don't know him. Amen. Who am I? You are a child. If you were a believer in Christ, you were a child of God. That's who you are. What do you do with that? Do you become like one of those spoiled rich brats who sit around playing with their toys of Christianity? Or do you actually go out and use what God has given you for his kingdom and his glory? As our worship team comes forward, overcoming self-doubt is more than a psychological problem. It's a spiritual problem as well. In Moses' case, and in Moses' calling, self-doubt was rooted in past mistakes and sin, not understanding who he really was, and also in running away from his problems. But God met him where he was, there in the wilderness of Midian and also in the wilderness of his own doubt, and called him to a life-changing mission. It wasn't until Moses even though reluctantly accepted the call that God was able to change his life and the Jewish people's lives for the better. And I'm sure you may not feel equipped or up to the task that God's calling you to, but take heart. You're exactly what God is looking for and exactly where you need to be for him to use you in ways that only he can. To overcome self-doubt, you need to take the first step in obedience to God and there's a promise you can rely on that God is patient with us even when we doubt ourselves. If you've been avoiding that calling, and it doesn't have to be into vocational ministry where you have to give up your job that you're currently at, he's called you to minister where you are now. Maybe he is calling you out of that into something else. Only you can determine that along with his help as he goes with you wherever you go. If you're feeling that calling and that nudge today, and you know you've been sitting on your laurels, just you know, flitting away these opportunities, come down here. We'll pray with you. To my right, your left, somebody will pray with you here to help you work through some of that. If you're coming for the first time, you've never known Christ, and you want to make a first-time commitment to him, somebody will help you with that. If you're struggling with the who am I dilemma, don't leave without knowing who you really are and whose you really are. Heavenly Father, in this place, you are good and holy and righteous. 
You give us more than we deserve, and you withhold the punishment we do deserve. You're slow to anger. You're loving and compassionate. And as we struggle with the question, who am I today? And maybe even who are you? I pray that you would pull back the veil and reveal yourself in a way that unmistakingly we would say, ah, I get it. And now that I get it, I have to do something with it. Help us, God, to never grow stagnant in our faith. Help us, God, to come out of the wilderness of our self-doubt and to serve you with what we have and to know the things that we don't have, you'll equip us with because you are there with us all the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.